Welcome to Creating Your Happy Place, a podcast that explores what it takes to create your happy place and then empowers you to do whatever it takes to get happy at home. I'm Rebecca West, host of Creating Your Happy Place and author of the book, Happy Starts at Home, and I'm so glad you're here today. Now today we're gonna chat with a emotional resiliency coach who had the opportunity to put all her training into practice when over the course of just a few years, she lost her job, left her religion, went bankrupt, and went through a divorce, all while trying to be a great mom to four boys. Before everything turned upside down, she says she loved her house and her community. But she says that by losing everything, she learned that her house is not her home, and that actually, if she's at home with herself, then she can be at home anywhere. Now she's using this upheaval to create something new, building a home and a culture for herself and her children that is significantly different from that that she grew up with. I am delighted to welcome to the show today, living in her own apartment in Spanish Fork, Utah, emotional resiliency coach and co-founder of Inner World Movement, Dana Parker. Welcome to the show, Dana. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so pleased that you're here. I think this can cause the potential to be a profound and deeply personal story that hopefully will help other people find their own path as they're figuring things out. So I thought we might start on a positive note. You shared with me that you grew up in the Mormon community. Mm -hmm. And before we talk about leaving the church, let's talk about what you loved about being part of that community and how that influenced your home and family life. Yes. I, you know, this is such a great question. And I love this because there's so much when when we leave things sometimes we're just so bombarded by all of the the transition and the negativity that we forget the beautiful things so the beautiful things that that really shaped me as a mom that I loved about being a part of the Mormon church is the core values values are such a huge part of the community and the culture and what we're taught and what that did for me is it it gave me a kind of a strong foundation gave me a strong foundation of kind of picking and choosing the things that would mean a lot to me in my life and the things that that I really wanted to live by. For example, integrity. Integrity was one of those that was often talked about. And I'm a huge believer in integrity. Integrity is a really big deal to me, being in integrity with myself, with my heart and love, loving. I feel Mm -hmm. like that's one of the things that I learned that was so beautiful in learning about the stories of Jesus is that is if, if we could sum it up in one word it is love outside yeah. of everyone else's you know filters and things they put on who he is and and what he did in his life the stories and the man there's love and for me having that connection to him to Jesus was actually it was life-saving I, I experienced abuse as a child and and I didn't deal with any of it till I was 23 that's what started me on my journey mm-hmm. and it was my connection to him and my belief in him that that gave me the hope to heal to move through so much of what I did and now as a mom I pass that down to my children so when my children are struggling, when they're having emotional experiences, teaching them the pattern of, of turning to that connection that's so strong because emotions actually are what rewire the brain and that strong connection of emotion to a higher power can be so brilliant for us. So as a mom, that's, it's empowered me with tools to be a living example of, of core values and living my truth 
Mm-hmm. And then I've also been able to teach my children tools as a mother that have, it's been so empowering to, to offer the tools that have helped me heal. Yeah. And so, and, and, you know, some of them, I mean, it's so beautiful seeing a five-year-old do visualizations and hand things over to Jesus and, mm. and, and move things through and let things go. And, and my 12 year old loves it too. And that's really rewarding as a mom. And it's very empowering for me. So those are the things I love. It's interesting. Cause when you describe those things to me, that's what makes up church, if you will, right. It is the values and, and all of that. But when you're in a, a really tight knit community, like the Mormon churches, the, there's a lot that's all kind of tangled together. So there's two things that I'm hearing here is number one, you're kind of describing how we don't have to, you know, they say, you don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You yes. can leave a community without leaving your faith. And I'm, I'm right. curious, how did you navigate that? Because I can oh. see how they might be so tangled up that you feel like you have to lose your faith in order to, lo- to leave the community. Right. Well, and here in Utah, it's so saturated. I mean, yeah. it is everywhere you go. It is, it, it, especially because I'm in the, the bubble. So I'm in Provo or area and we call it, right. I call it the bubble, the bubble of Mormonism. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of things when I, when I started to take those steps to transition out and to, to take steps away from the church, what I noticed as I began to look for support is there's a lot of people that are caught up in anger mm-hmm. in hurt, in fear, in, in shame, the cycles of shame, the things they hated so much, they're still in it, but they're acting, you know, like drinking is, is one of those things that you're not supposed to drink when you're Mormon. And then I noticed people would swing the pendulum and they'd still be holding the shame, but they're drinking. And that's what keeps people in addiction and keeps people doing what they don't want. So as I observed that as, as an observer, I said, you know, what? I don't, I don't want that. Yeah. I don't want, I don't want to hold on to anger. It'll create separation between me and my family who still hold this as a sacred thing. So, you know, and it doesn't mean I didn't feel anger. What I did with it mattered. And that's right. what I tell my boys all the time. It doesn't matter what you feel, what you, what you feel is important. It's teaching you things, what you do with it. And I want to correct that. It does matter what you feel. It's okay. I want to, that's what I want to say. It's okay to feel all things. What you do with it matters. Right. It reminds me of something I've been reading in various news articles and stuff lately about like revenge procrastination or revenge bedtime, like this, (laughs) this thing where we are like craving control. And so we kind of hurt ourselves in the process of like taking control because, you know, like we don't always have the most healthy responses to dealing with feelings. Yes, exactly. So observing people was so helpful. And as I, you know, I've been studying emotions for my whole career. So 12 years, I've been studying about emotions and what they're there for and how they teach us. So I I had these tools to actually help me observe my emotions in the process. And so what happened for me was I I knew I wanted, I wanted the path of, of healing and peace and gratitude for the journey that that, that time in the Mormon church brought me. And, and I knew that I wanted to move forward and rebuild something, something else. And there was a time totally, completely transparent and honest where I was like, I'm so hurt by these figures that they told me God was, or this figure of, of what they told me Jesus was that I I had to put it out for a little bit. Mm -hmm. I did for, for a a time because, and questioning, is that something I really want? And I actually talked to a man who had left the church and he was an atheist. 
And it changed my life. This one moment, this one thing that he said, he said, I choose to be an atheist because of joy, the principle of joy. I just want to live present in this life in joy right now. And I thought, that is the strong foundation. That is one of those core values that I can build on, joy. And I started testing, does the idea and my connection with Jesus bring my heart joy? Right. Does this idea of, of father, mother, God bring me joy? Outside of everyone else's ideas of who they are, the pure love version of them. Yeah. And it was like, yes, like my whole heart was a yes. So I was like, okay, I'm keeping those things. And I got to let go of my hurt of what everyone told me they were and just connect with them personally outside of everyone's opinions. So that that's how I rebuilt. Yeah. Like untangling the, oh. the, the authority figures in the church from your faith. I mean, that oh. must have, that couldn't have been easy. No, a lot of, a lot of, you know, going within and looking and, and a lot of writing for me, writing has been such a, a healing process. Mm-hmm. A lot of, I have some, some close friends, you know, a handful of close friends that will ask me the hard questions, you know, and, and really ask me the things that cause me to think deeper. And I think that's the power of a coach. That's the power, power of people outside of us that aren't attached to the mm-hmm. decisions we make. They can bring questions in that cause you to really think through things. And so that was really helpful for me. Tons of introspection and, and my ability, my practice of, of understanding my emotions and what emotions, what, how to name them and, and what's the root of them. And mm-hmm. all of that helped me so much in the process to navigate that journey and let all of the, the teachings of everyone else go and just connect yeah. myself. Now you found, co-founded a thing called inner world. So that's of course yes. inside of ourselves and yes. our souls, our minds. My work of course is interior design, which is our physical outer I world. Love it. I'm curious as you, I'm actually, I was going to ask a different question, but because you're still living right in the heart of the Mormon world, how much does that physical proximity like help your journey or get in the way of the journey? And like the apartment where you're living, is it like Mormon owned? Do you have more, like, I'm so curious. Yeah. Show up physically around you in the, in the cave. Such a good question. I love these. These are so good. These are questions no one's ever asked. And I love speaking about these things. I, there've been times where I'm like, I, why do I live in the heart of Utah? And I, I felt my heart cold to leave this church that is so foundational here. And I'm very empathic. I'm very much, I'm a recovering people pleaser and covering perfectionist. And I want to, I want to fit in and I want to be with the people and I want to connect with the community around me. And my journey, my heart called me to leave all of it. And it was so interesting. I was talking to my coach and talking about like, I just, this is really hard being in the heart of this, where it's everywhere, feeling actually scared sometimes that I'm an outcast, that I won't be loved or accepted, which Mm -hmm. I think we all experience that on some level or another in our lifetime. I, I don't know anyone who's escaped that yet. But feeling like that fear of being unlovable, that fear of, of being rejected from friends that I've had for ages, you know, lifetime, lifetime, yes, my own family, things like that. And, and, you know, it was one of those things where the navigation of it, first of all, takes a lot of emotional awareness Mm -hmm. of, okay, 
that the the fear that's coming up is coming from this I can let that go I don't need to be in fear about that and it comes from a fear of being rejected and lovable and then I turn in and love myself I give myself those words that I wanted to hear tell myself I'm I'd say Dana you're doing so good at this human thing it's hard and you're feeling <laughs> scared and it's okay you know I started to be that comfort for myself and this is where I started to create that home within me right it became here and it was really powerful you know the effects of of everyone else around me I've learned now to separate and Mm -hmm. to be me and to love me and then to love them in their process and if they choose not to love me I know that, that there's lots of options but the two main pathways for me are speak up and say my boundaries of how I want to be treated. And if that's not respected, then I can move on and I can move forward and I can let go of relationships that aren't serving me Mm -hmm. and that, that, that don't, they don't want to participate the way that I want to be treated. And, you know, that can be a hard process. There's mourning and there's loss in that. And I've, I've grieved the loss of so many people Mm -hmm. that I'm, I'm still recovering. My heart's still recovering from it. And because those are holes that they don't get filled by something else, you know, other things come into your life, but those will always be losses. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I have to fill in. I, I have to fill in that love. I have to love me and say, it's okay. It's okay that you're, you're being true to your heart, even if it, it hurts another for a time. Yeah. And I'm not purposely trying to hurt another person. No, I'm doing my best to be accountable for my life, to yeah. honor my heart and my higher power and my connection where I feel to go. And, you know, circling that back to motherhood, to me, that's the most important thing. That's where I can get fiery, passionate about. To me, that is what a good mom does. It's that living example, because I know that my children will do what I, what I do, not necessarily what I say. I can tell them all day long, live your dreams, follow your heart. But if I'm not doing it and showing them, they won't know what it looks like. They won't know how. And yeah, they have every opportunity to do so, to break out of that mold. We all do. But I just, the, from the moment I had babies, it was, I want to be a living example to them yeah. of living life to the fullest. You're pioneering and, a path for them. Yeah, pioneering well, a brand new path. And you said to me that you were the first person in your family to divorce. So you really are a pioneer in, within <laughs> yeah. your family culture. I'm curious, and if, it's, if you don't want to answer this, that's fine, obviously. But did divorce lead to leaving the church or did leaving the church lead to divorce or were they completely unrelated? I think that they were connected for sure. Mm-hmm. And, and I think there were other things that were separate. I think for me, the leaving of the church. So there were a lot of things. I got married at 19. That's a very common Mormon thing. Okay, 19 years old. Mm-hmm. I had no clue who I was or what I wanted or you know, all I knew is I'm supposed to marry a return missionary, which that's, you know, one of those LDS things of Mormons go out and serve to your missions. Yeah. I'm supposed to marry a return missionary, somebody who loves God and will be a good provider. That was all I knew on 19. Yeah. That's and, and check, 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 hit the marks. And it was a safe, safe decision for me. And, you know, stepping into that, as I got into at 23 is when I started my personal growth journey. And, you know, when you step into the journey of healing and growth, there's expansion that happens on a real level 
that can create separation in our relationships. Mm -hmm. If rewriting the rules and not everybody's necessarily on board and not everyone wants to. Yeah. And you know what? We, we grew and we grew apart. And, and I actually, I think culturally we have a lot of stigma around divorce that's unhealthy that keeps people in the cycle of an unhealthy relationship. Even if it's, you know, I justified for years, I'm not being abused. I'm not being abused, even though we didn't feel like a match, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I knew probably three or four years prior that there was a lot of hurts I was carrying from the marriage. Mm-hmm. A lot of feeling alone and feeling like I don't have a partner by my side, even though we'd go to bed at night, but I'd go to bed feeling alone. You know, right. I could connect with clients deeper than I could connect with my husband. And that's really painful for me because I thrive on deep, meaningful connection. Right. And so as I navigated through that and through the hurt, because I wanted to make a decision in a neutral space before I made a decision to divorce, so I wanted to work through the hurt. I didn't want to come back out again, feeling angry or resentful or attract the same kind of man. Right. I wanted to heal. And so I did the healing. And then there came a time where it was time to check in. And previous to that, I had, I had announced that I was done with the church. And so I think that was kind of the last straw that was holding us together and in some common ground. And so leaving the church then created so like the chasm was so big. Right. What else did you have in common? Yeah. The boys. It is that, that it, it just was, it was so clear intuitively for me that it was time to be done and that I wasn't his highest joy and he wasn't mine. And that was probably one of the hardest decisions I've ever made in my life. It takes a lot of courage and I'm sure you were terrified about what would happen to you guys as parents and yeah your ability to see the boys and vice versa. I have no idea what that looks like, but with it, with such a tight knit community, I imagine that they would want the boys raised within the community. Like, sure, you can go off on your own, but you can't (laughs) take the boys. Right. Right. Is that part of why you stayed? I think for me staying local, there's a couple of reasons. It's a good challenge for me. Like I kind of like the challenge of, of being a trailblazer a loving trailblazer of, Hey, I know I'm not the only one out there. And if anyone needs support and cause there's lots of people that are transitioning, I mean, they're coming out in floods into my world. And so that's part of why I stay local. And then to stay close to them right now, I think is, is really good for me. Yeah. To have it's them close by. Like you are, you, it sounds like you are very intentionally staying local so that you can be that you can show that you don't have to run away or be pushed out in order to make this change. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but is that, is that accurate? Yes, exactly. And, and I want to, I want to say just because I haven't run doesn't mean I haven't wanted to. There have been so many times where I'm like, I just wish I lived out of state. (laughs) I wish I could just move. And there's something that's calling me to the challenge of staying in a community and in a space where that, that old cycles, the old cycles are so apparent and the ability to step out and step away and to be my per- my own person and have my own connection and still love me and still be worthy and deserving. Mm-hmm. That is, it does something for me. It's doing something for me. And I believe that being that living example for my children so close to them will help them on their journey. And, and I'm not attached. If they want to be, 
part of the church, I want them to just follow their heart. Some people, that is the most beautiful path. And some, for some people, it's not. And I just, I want them to know for themselves. Mm-hmm. That's all. And I'll love them and support them in what they feel is best for their life. So speaking of your boys, you said that you're really trying to create a new culture. Mm-hmm. When you, when you, because obviously there's a lot that you're holding, keeping from your growing up and your faith and your community, because those values are very dear to you. Yes. What are you rejecting and what are, yes. what's new that you're building for the boys? Oh, so good. I, being your own authority in your life, that's a really big deal to me. That sovereign, being an empowered individual, thinking for yourself. Those are all really important things. Challenging what people tell you is true, meaning, and you don't have to outright challenge them to their face, but challenging in your mind of what are the fruits of that and why? And, you know, one of the big ones is earning worthiness. I, it's, that's one of those things that I will be passionate about until the day I die. We don't earn worthiness. Hmm. We don't wait for another person to tell us if we're worthy or not. And if you want to live that way and learn in that, great. I will love you. But in my world and, and in the people that I, I will be around, I will train and educate and share with them that it's not okay for another person to tell you, another human being to tell you if you're worthy or not. Right. That's just not acceptable. A bishop, a state president, no, that's between you and God. And that's how that works. And you are worthy. There's nothing you can do or say that diminishes that. Everything is for your learning. So I'm those are some of the big ones. I'm curious because you are a female and you identify yeah. as a female. So you yes. Seattle speak and there are four boys under your mm-hmm. charge. Yeah. Do you... I, again, I'm not a Mormon, but my yeah. outside impression is that females have a very prescribed way of living and that there's definitely mm-hmm. um, a hierarchy. So do you feel that the men within your community also experience that kind of outward determination of worth, or is there a real gender disparity here as you're thinking about raising your kids with this new model? So uh, I, I, I don't know that I fully understand your question. Meaning having a man tell a woman their words, is that what you're saying? Yeah. So is your, so I, okay. So first question is obviously the women are told whether or not they're worthy based on their marriage choices and their mothering and stuff like that. And outside determinations rather than your inner determination. Do men within your community also have that worth assigned from an outside perspective? Yes. So I actually think this is even bigger than the Mormon church. And yes, we have our little intricacies and things in the Mormon church that make it a little more intense. Like we define ourselves like as a mom, being a stay at home mom, being a good cook, a great homemaker, those things are really valued in the culture for Mm -hmm. men being a great priesthood holder and doing, you know, getting out and serving people and being worthy and, and by following all the rules and looking the part, you know, is, is really important. So there's those things, but on a large scale, I think that all of us as men and women face these unsaid rules, this perfectionism list of here, if I do these things, then I'm worthy, then I'm deserving. And, and it's on a subconscious level. And And I definitely agree. I mean, you just think about something as dumb as diet culture. If I just lose five more pounds, people will like me and I'll like myself. That's a dangerous game. Yeah. It also doesn't work. 
I know. If I just do this, then I'm this. It's waiting yeah. for the outside results to prove something about you. It's the opposite. Mm-hmm. You believe it about you and your outside will show you. Your outside mirrors to you the things that you're holding on inside. Yeah. So, yeah. So going back to the physical space, how does the home that you had with your husband and your boys compare to where you're living right now and sometimes part-time with the boys? Mm-hmm. And what decisions have you made about your new home, your physical space with all of this in mind? Right. The actual physical home that I lived in, the last home with my husband, it was such a beautiful place. I loved the the physical, you know, vaulted ceilings and had a cherry tree and a peach tree and a strawberry patch and, and the neighborhood was safe and wonderful and my kids could run around and have friends to play with and it was just such a, an ideal space physically. Now, emotionally it was a whole different ball game being in my home I actually didn't feel like I could be me Hmm. I didn't feel fully that I had I I wasn't giving myself permission and it wasn't enjoyed by my husband from my perspective if I was fully me and so that that was really hard for me to have this physical space that I love but there's this cage that I was still feeling and so, well, you know, I, and, and just to pause there for a second, that's, that's very important, right? Because I, I have, I work with clients who are like, I should love my home. I should love my life. Everything is beautiful. I have, you know, all the bells and whistles, a pool, a air conditioning, Quiznard, whatever your thing is, right? Yes. But while our physical environments can influence our happiness, they cannot solve a relationship that's falling apart and and no matter how beautiful it is, it can feel like it's trapping you. Yep. Exactly. The physical space is wonderful and beautiful. That's just one element. It's that emotional, it's the inner space of your heart and what's happening in in your relationships, your relationship with yourself, your relationship with significant others that really it, it can, it can create unhappiness. And the danger is, so often we look out into the world to try to feel that we're getting the best of the blender, the best, you know, decorations, the best, and trying to make everything outside of us beautiful when inside we're aching yeah. to see exactly. the beauty in ourselves. We yeah. don't feel beautiful ourselves. And so that's where the inner world movement came to be for me. And that's where that getting into that inner world is so valuable mm-hmm. because then happens when your inner world becomes beautiful then you appreciate the outer world so much more and then it doesn't even matter where you're living because if you're like like let's say you're living in a you know one bedroom apartment and you're looking out at a brick wall and it's not classically beautiful but you can go but what this means is I'm in charge of my own oh yeah and you can love that brick wall and be like, that's mm. my brick wall. Yeah, <laughs> yes. That, that was my experience when I moved into the apartment that I'm in. I remember one of the first times that I, I sat and I, I lit some candles for myself and it was a celebration. I turned off the lights, a celebration mm. of how far I've come. And I just had this moment where I sat in my living room and I this was my space. And it was me being the one to create the energy of the space it it was the celebration of I get to be me now here in this little apartment where I'm at I have permission to fully be me for the first time in my life 
at, you know, 30, 34 years old. That was an incredible moment for me. And that's when I realized it's not necessarily the physical space. I do love beautiful physical spaces. Sure. But it's me. It's me. I value a space where I can just be all of me. And I'm loved. And it gives you a blank palette because any four walls can be made to feel lovely. It's really just tools of the trade some paint, some carpet, good, a good deep cleaning, right? Yeah. <laughs> you have to have that, that physical space where you are allowed mm-hmm. to say what and who is going to be in it. Yep. Yeah. It makes a big you, difference. You shared with me that your boys have campouts on the floor now in the house. Yeah. <laughs> yes. They, for some reason, I mean, I bought a bunk bed that they all could sleep in and but for some reason, they love to just be together on the floor. They get their mattresses out and just just being together. You know, they're very, they fight like siblings, but they're so close. And they love each other so deeply. And it's, it's, it's kind of a, a joy to watch right now. And, and it is, we're, that's where we're at. We, there's campouts on the floor. That's how it works regularly right yeah. now. Yeah, oh, that's really, I think it's marvelous. Yeah. So what hopes do you have going forward and what worries do you still care? I think for me, the hope that I have, this hope, which hope is such an interesting word because we get it confused in our culture. It hope turns out to be more like a maybe sometimes, like a lot of times like, oh, I hope that that happens and it loses its energy. But a hope is an expectation Mm. to me. It's an expectation of good things to come if you look up the definition. And so for me, the hope is building now a life, the life that I feel like I was born to love based on what my heart is calling for, you know, building my coaching practice and business, blessing the lives of thousands upon thousands of people is, is really one of my big goals in life to be a thought leader and to really show people the way to empower themselves to heal in their life, to see different results. And that inner world healing is just, it's, it's vital to the process of growth and expansion. And so, you know, our world, we're, we're so amazing in technology and all these things outside of us, but I think we're lacking in the emotional, spiritual world right now. And, and those things, the spiritual, emotional world has to catch up to our advances in technology and everything in order for things to be peaceful. I think it's a really important part of the process. So um, making a difference in the world, creating a platform where my children and others can come and share their message. And I think I'm building for, for not just me, but so many. I desire the most joy-filled, fulfilling, magical relationship. That's one of my hopes, to have a partner that feels like a, a, a partner you know, somebody who's by my side and it, it, we feel like we're equally matched energetically, emotionally. And that's, those are some of my really big hopes right now and things I'm focusing on. Some of my fears, what if, what if it doesn't happen? That's probably one of the big ones. What if I don't have what it takes? That's a really big one that comes up for me. What if I don't have what it takes to build this? Cause it feels so big mm-hmm. and, and I don't even know all the steps you know, I'm still, I'm still learning and it's going to be a learning curve for me, but what if it doesn't happen? Then what, mm-hmm. you know, what would it mean about me and how would I feel? And, and, you know, 
to die unfulfilled is probably one of my huge, huge fears, mm-hmm. unfulfilled and unrealized. Yeah. Luckily, you're very young yet, so you have plenty of time. Yes, plenty of time, 35 years. I'm curious, uh, every divorce is different, right? So some people end up keeping half the stuff. Some people like right. leave with the clothes on their back. What, aside from the boys, what's yeah. in your home now that came from your past life or did you leave it all behind? Like, how did you make those decisions? Yeah, I let go of so much. I let go of so much. I, I, I actually went through the whole house and in our garage our two garages and I ended up with a a small corner of things that I took with me and things like pictures and 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 journals and yearbooks and things like that and some some kitchen stuff because I value taking good care of myself but what's interesting is actually I'm moving again this week into a different congratulations thank you And I am doing another letting go. And what I realized is I will take one thing that I had in that. I feels like a previous life, (laughs) that previous life. I will have one thing and it's my grandma's hutch, her, her beautiful hutch that I painted. And so everything else will, I'll just be letting go. I, I already revamped a lot of my wardrobe and things like that, but there's something, there was something really freeing for me about letting go of all the previous stuff. And it's like every time I took a load off to, uh, it's called the Desert Industries here. That's mm-hmm. like our, you know, savers or what is it? Goodwill. Goodwill and yes. Salvation Army. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> every load was like a load off my back. Yeah, isn't it? It's wonderful. It felt amazing. I mean, I probably took 10 plus car loads of stuff to, to the eye. And, and I just think it's, you know, when I went through my divorce, it took, a, it took years to finally let go of all of the small tokens yeah. in my case, because yeah. he moved out. And so I had, I was left with the house right. and all the things in it. And every time I got ready, like I wasn't ready to let go of all of it at first, mm-hmm. but each time I was like, oh, I've just, like it's a milestone. Like, I don't know how yeah. well I'm ready, but I guess I'm ready now. I'm ready now. For you, you weren't just letting go of tokens of a marriage. It's so interconnected with your in community and family and church yeah. like so I, I I hadn't really thought about it but when you said like I kept my grandmother's hutch you were just how do I even put that into words you're leaving behind something when you leave community yeah yeah it's true we, I actually it was very in the Mormon church they have these things called garments and it's what you wear underneath your clothes right it's a, a special type of it's underwear right and it's sacred and experience was very symbolic of how I feel like I did the, the journey of letting go of things but I took those garments and I knew it was time to let go and that I wouldn't be using them any longer and I took them and I did a, my own personal gratitude ceremony you know as I you're supposed to cut the little symbols out that are in them and paid respect for the journey that that life was for me and there were tears and there were good moments that I remember there's moments where I remember connecting with such beautiful people in the community. You know, it was, it was like a grieving you're part process. of something. And yeah. Not. Yeah. And to let it go in a space of gratitude and love with beautiful music and just mm-hmm. being with the, the journey of it was so beautiful. And I think really symbolic of letting, letting go of a lot of the stuff. And I'm kind of an all in kind of girl. It's like, 
if we're going to do this, let's just do it. Let's just get it all done. Yeah. And I think that's what gives me the courage to take these big leaps, you know, but letting go of almost all the stuff and stepping into, okay, starting fresh. Yeah. It's, it's been liberating. I mean, again, not being part of that community, did you wear those garments like literally every single day of your life until one day you weren't? And if that's true, what, okay. I, Part of me is like, did you just go straight up Victoria's Secret? What happened next? <laughs> you don't have to answer that. But I am curious, oh. like the day after, like, what did it feel like physically? So, it was so interesting because when I started to let go of all of the, the you know, these rules are, are, I don't know that they're necessarily from God and started letting go is actually my garments were one of the very first things that I felt inspired to take off. Wow. I hadn't even left full yet huh. and and then I had this inspiration that was like pay attention to how you feel and I it was mind-blowing there's a lot of cognitive dissonance for me to work through because in my mind I had been told they're they're sacred their protection you know all those things but when I took right. them off for the first time in my life as a woman I actually felt sexy I felt beautiful I felt more connected to my higher power than hmm. I ever did. I, I was mind blowing to me. I felt free. And I actually had a really hard time putting it back on. <laughs> it was so interesting. And you know, what's so funny is I had to process through all of these interesting because modesty is a really big deal. Right. Uh, I had to process with a friend through wearing tank tops. Like I called her and I'm like, I'm going to Cancun and I'm freaking out because I'm only packing tank tops to challenge myself but I'm crying over here because I yeah. feel like I'm a bad person because I'm wearing tank tops yeah. and I'm like there's a part of me that knows that that sounds crazy and there's the other part of me that's like this is real yeah. <laughs> I, I wouldn't even let myself as a teenager wear tank tops because I was preparing for the garment mm -hmm. and so things like that you know shopping for underwear for the first time by myself I wish it could have been recorded it would have been so fun because I was feeling guilt and shame but kind of like oh I'm so excited look at all these fun colors look where at did all you the possibilities. go I actually just went to Target perfect yeah. a little yeah, less intimidating than like a yes. lingerie store right yes yes so that was a great beginning for me and you know figuring out what I like and and it was a whole new whole new thing and it was more of an outward expression than I was done too, because funny enough, we actually here in, in Utah, a lot of us look for the garment line to know, oh, they're wearing their garments. Oh, they're, they're worthy. Yeah, they're proper, they're, proper Mormon. Yes, yes. And so it was kind of a, a really big step into I'm no longer. And, and if I'm not mistaken, because you have short hair, I want to say that long hair is also part of the community. Is that true? There, there's branches that maybe have that more, maybe in like polygamous break off of the Mormon church. Got it. Now. Okay. But women can, can do, they really, they encourage to stay away from crazy colors and really crazy styles. But for the most part, it's, it's more of a lenient thing now. Yeah. But it yeah. sounds like, you know, for me getting divorced, changing my physical space was really about my home. But it yeah. sounds like for you, a lot of changing your physical space was about what you're actually putting on your body and what your, mm. your personal expression was going to be. Yeah. 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 Which is one of our places, you know, yeah. our closet and how we dress ourselves is how we're presenting ourselves to the world. Mm -hmm. What did you decide 
I don't know if it was very intentional, but what did you decide as you re-wardrobed yourself that you wanted to put out there? Yeah, I, I think for me, I actually took a course called Dressing Your Truth, which was fun, by Carol Tuttle, and I love it, and I learned a lot about myself, a lot about my personality style and things that will look good on me and colors and things like that. That was, that was a really fun journey for me. I, I think a big one is, is how I feel in something. Mm-hmm. I want to, I want to feel beautiful. I want to feel professional. There are times where I want to feel sexy. There, there are clothes that I bought that I'm like, yes, I'm going to feel sexy in that. And that's going to be fun for me. And I'm going to embrace all of this. And it's been really good for me because I'm actually a six, I'm six feet tall. I'm a oh my really gosh. tall woman. Yes. And so it was a really amazing journey. I've defined, I've been defined by, by my body most of my life. Right. And so that's been one of the first things people usually always say about me. And so, and I've always carried a little extra weight. And so it was a moment to really start stepping into embracing my beautiful body and, and loving my body more. And, and the beautiful part is I can genuinely say with all my heart, I love my body more now than I ever have in my life. right now and and it's beautiful and it's because I've made these decisions to intentionally close it in a way that I feel amazing and then I've been taking care of it differently too I mean that's exactly what we're talking about here so yeah your happy place is more tied up in your in your body and in your clothes and mine was in my space but it's the same journey and it's using those physical tools to explore our inner journey because it doesn't matter what shirt we wear. What Mm -hmm. matters is how that shirt makes us feel. It doesn't matter what sofa we have. What matters is how that sofa makes us feel. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, I just love the journey that you have taken and obviously that you're now helping other people take. What, I mean, we could talk about this for ages, but we're not allowed. So what would you like to leave folks? I think an invitation to evaluate why you do what you do. An invitation to evaluate why you're making the decisions that you make in your life, why you feel it's important to do, say yes to this activity or to be a part of this community. Why are you doing it? Is it for you? Is it in the highest and greatest good for you and all involved? That is the question that I now take to my higher power when I'm checking in on big life things is, is this in the highest and greatest good for all involved, including me? And if there are things that you're doing in your life that are for other people or to earn love or worthiness, which we all do this on some level, mm-hmm. but it's time to let those things go. That's what I would say. It's time to let those things go. And if you want support doing that, reach out, find people that are safe that are an amazing space for you that, that can, that aren't attached to the decisions you make in your life. They don't define them. They just, they just want you to be happy. Yeah. And, and if you don't have those, make a list right now of the, the kind of friends that you want and then focus right, in because they'll, they'll show up. They'll show up. Yeah. If you want yeah. that, you can have it. Well, so. and speaking of amazing resources that people might want to have on their list, where can people find you? Yes, innerworldmovement.com is where you can find us. That's the space where you can learn about our coaching. I actually am launching my first group coaching program in September. So you can look on there for that. And if you'll email us and reach out, I would love to give a coupon code for that for any listeners to any of your listeners. 
uh, for that. And that would be really enjoyable. It's all about self-empowerment and stepping into your power, letting go of cultural generational programming and ideas that we carry as women and men. And I'm really excited about that. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook and Dana Parker, innerworld.dana on Instagram. And you can follow us there. Innerworld Movement is on Instagram too. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing some of your story with us today. I know there is so much more to tell and maybe we'll have another conversation another day. Yes. Thank you so much, Rebecca. I appreciate you. Oh, well, it goes both ways. And to our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Creating Your Happy Place and that you feel a little bit more encouraged and empowered to make your home and the places where you reside your happy place. If you're feeling less than happy in your home, please know that my book, Happy Starts at Home, is here as a resource for you. It's full of exercises that are meant to help you ask good questions of yourself to figure out why your home isn't working for you, no matter how beautiful it is, and identify what needs to change. So whether you work with a designer or you do it yourself, I just hope that you take the action needed to make your home your happy place. Until next time.